Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. It's a joy for Gene and I to be with you again this day, and we're honored to be in the presence of God with you. We think the world of your pastor and his wife, and this congregation is much like the congregation we're going to read about today. It's the church in Philadelphia. Now, if you will turn in your Bible, please. It is the book of Revelation, singular, always, of course. Appreciate you remembering that. And we're going to read from verses 7 to 13. I'm not going to read it all now, but as we go from part to another part, uh, we will come in and out of Scripture with comment. Uh, there's enough here for several sermons. I will not bring three sermons, only one. And so there are some things that are very important here that I'll just mention briefly without comment because there isn't time to deal with all of the weight of this chapter in the time that is given to us this day. So this is now the sixth church in Asia Minor that we are studying. It's the church in Philadelphia. It's called the Faithful Church. And it later became known as the Church of Brotherly Love. And where that comes from is the love and the loyalty of two brothers, Attalus II and Eumenes, the king of Pergamum. They had such love and loyalty to each other that it conveyed that to the church. And this church is now called the Church of Brotherly Love. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Just, we have just a few moments to give you a little bit of the geographical setting. This church in Philadelphia was in earthquake country and in country where there was volcanic activity. And because of that, most people moved out to the surrounding hills in that wide valley and lived there, but attended the church in Philadelphia, but didn't want to live right close to the church because that was the very center of earthquake activity. In AD 17, history tells us that that church and that city was destroyed by an earthquake, A.D. 17. And the government, much like the government might do today, stepped in and rebuilt the church and rebuilt that city. Today, that church is really a small church in a Turkish village. It is a church today that... Uh, is very, very full of the kind of things that were known at the beginning of time. This church was significant. You will remember I began by saying that this church was like Fairfax because Fairfax is a significant church. It is a small church, just like this one. And it is a church that is known because of the quality of its members. So this church is your church. This church, too, is the church of brotherly love. It was a fortress city in that day because the Crusades, the Turks and the Mohammedans came down and would slaughter all of the people. And that fortress, that little church, was there to somehow delay their progress, to, to slow them down, because they could never possibly defeat them. 
It was also on the caravan route. So it was a center where great merchandise passed through, but none remained in that area. It was the gateway to the east, the trade route of that particular day. I want you to turn now to verse 7, and I'm going to make comment as I come through this passage. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Now, holiness or holy always has the connection with deity in the scripture. God is holy. And the Greek word there is hagios because it was a church that was given to holiness. There was no condemnation like Smyrna to this church. There was no call to repentance. It was a church that was almost perfect. May I say that about you? I do not know. I could ask your pastor, but sometimes he holds some things back. You found that out, I know. And I found it out a long time ago. But it's only brought us closer together because we understand the work of the Spirit of God that is happening in this day. I love that hymn. And we don't sing enough hymns in the church. I was brought up on the hymn book and the Bible. Those two books, the Bible first and then the hymn book. Because the hymn book is filled with words that are so theologically deep. Consider this one. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy and holiness is not something, however, that we can produce in ourselves. It is the result of our relationship to Jesus Christ. He is the one that produces the fruit in us as we are grafted into the vine. So the Spirit of God flows through that and flows through the church and the members of the church and we become holy because of that relationship to him. Holiness is always connected then with deity. You are holy and true. The word true means he is completely reliable. It means that he is real. It means that he is genuine. He is holy and he is true. Now it further says that these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now I'm going to talk about the doors for a little bit this morning. But before I get to that, the key is always the symbol of authority in Scripture. Remember, he said to the early church, he said, you have the keys to the kingdom. There is an authority in the key of David, however, that is a little different than what he previously said to another group of people in another setting. And that is, there is the illustration found in Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. A man named Eliakim. And he was the steward in the house of King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah gave him the key. And he said, you alone have the authority to admit or deny access to me. If you give them access, you have that authority. If you deny it, 
You have my authority to deny it. To come into my presence, you must give them that authority. And if you do not, they cannot come into my presence. Now, Jesus has the key of David. And this key is similar, but it has some differences. But he too is the one that has the authority to admit to the kingdom of God or to deny it. He is the one that can open the door of salvation or deny it. But thank God he said, I am the door. I am the gate, and no man cometh in but by me. And we have access to the Father through the Son. Thank God that Jesus has the key, and he has the power to admit to his eternal kingdom. Now, what does shut and open really mean? Doors. That's what. I know your deeds, it says first in verse 8. And that's a scary thought, that God knows what we're thinking right now. He knows your words before you speak them. He knows your words while they are still on the tip of your tongue. He knows everything about you. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Oh, God, help us to be careful in our thought life and in our speaking. Every idle word, Jesus said, will be brought into judgment. So be careful what you think. And to think it and do it is complicity in a sin. Jesus can forgive, but please be careful I bring that warning to you today. Now let's talk about these doors for a few moments. There is the door to heaven, and I've already referred to that, where Jesus said, I am the door in John 10 and 9. There is the door to missionary activity. You don't have to go to a far country to be a missionary. You are right now missionaries by the kind of service that you offer to the poor and the hopeless and the needy. I commend you. God commends you. This is a missionary at home, and you can serve him. Thank God for those that are called to full-time service on foreign soil. Someone has to go, and those that are called do so in the name of the Lord. But you can be a missionary, and you can walk through that door of opportunity to bring testimony to those who do not know the Savior and help them to know Christ who never, never fails. Thank God it is also the door to messianic glory and promise and all of the age of Messiah. There is a doorway that is opened in this particular chapter for them and for us. Thank God I have entered through the door. Thank God I am a pastor. Thank God I am a missionary. Thank God that I give witness. Thank God that I've opened thy heart with all my heart and life to serve the Lord. Now he says that he can both open and no man can shut it. If you ever keep your foot in a door that someone is trying to close, it's painful. In God's way of thinking, when you enter a door and you serve God acceptably for a time and place there, he may want to shut that door and open a greater door for you. Don't keep your foot in the door. You were only delaying the process, and it's very painful. 
So don't do that. In the name of Jesus Christ, enter the door and serve the Lord. He commends this church. He says, you have kept my word. Now, friends, this book is not true because it's old. But it's old because it's true. This word is the supreme authority on all matters of faith and conduct. It is inerrant. It is inspired. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. This word is God-breathed. Thank God, thank God, we've got a reliable, authoritative document called the Word of God. The Word of God will stand upon the Word of God. And everybody said, and they said it again, we will stand upon the Word of God. Now he says in verse 8, that you have little strength. Let me just find that exactly as I'm reading it to you. You have little strength, yet you have kept my word. You've kept this document. You have not resorted to heretical teaching, but you've been true to the word of God. Thank God that this church is true to the word of God. It's not the only one that is, but I can tell you there are a lot of churches that have long since departed this word and they preach false doctrine and heresy. Thank God for the true word of God and he commends them even though they had little strength and the word yet that conjunction is very emphatic. Though you have little strength, you still kept my word. Also, you never denied my name. Now, denying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is denying his essential deity. Jesus is God. He is not a part of God. He is not a little God. He's not another God. He's not a lesser God. He is fully God. Colossians 1.19, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him mightily. All the fullness of God. He is God. He is God. John 1 and 1. And the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word Word is Jesus. He is God fully and completely. And in verse 14 of John 1, it says... He became incarnate. God was made flesh and dwelt among us for a little while. But he is here today by his spirit, though he is not here in bodily presence. He is here in spiritual presence. And we thank him for that and with all of our heart. Now, coming to the heart of what I want to spend the majority of my time on today. Let me mention, first of all, a little bit about the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of Satan was the synagogue of secular Jews who did not believe in a coming Messiah, much less in the coming again or the second coming of the Messiah. Jesus spoke so clearly to them. In fact, there's such a withering denunciation 
in Scripture to those people who are holy or dedicated outwardly, but inwardly is where it really relies. I am thankful to God that our outward life can show his reality. In fact, when you're witnessing, if they do not receive your words and you feel somehow you failed, what to do is this. Stop talking and live your life. More people come to Christ by watching a life that is lived outwardly and inwardly, but it's lived in a genuine sense of following the Lord, like circumcision, an outward mark, but an inward reality. We thank God today that we have not denied his name and we have not denied the essential deity of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Romans 2, 28, it says that the true Jew and the Christian is one not only outwardly, but inwardly first and foremost. We must walk the talk. What we say, we must back up by our lives. In Jesus' name, let this be true in our heart. In verse 9, it says that they will come and fall at your feet. Now, these persecuting Jews who would not worship Christians as deities. No, never. We, we are not to be worshipped. We are worshippers of the Lord. And when they came, and it says that they would fall at your feet, it simply means that you are in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And because they're under his feet, they're under your feet. And in that sense only are you above them and they fall at his feet and they fall at your feet. Help us to understand that. Help us to know that in our life. Now it says here in verse, uh, pardon me, in Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11. And maybe this clarifies it before we move on. Let me see if I can pick that one out quickly. Oh, I did it. Very good. In Philippians, it says in verses 9, 10, and 11, that he being found, I'm backing up a little bit into verse 8, in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, he is Lord and someday those who deny him and denounce him and say he is not God, they too will bow. But when they make a confession, it will only be in the acknowledgement of a fact. It will not bring them salvation. Today, if you bow your, your, your knees to Christ and your heart symbolically, then we do that unto eternal salvation. Beautiful passage of Scripture, a sermon within itself. Now, the heart of the message that I wanted to, I hope I didn't race along too quickly, but I knew the time would fail if I did not. I want to talk about the tribulation. Now you'd say, why? Why are you? Hurry to get there. Well, because it's, it's uh, 
going to be beautiful for us. I'm not an escapist. But I'm going to be out of here someday. I'm going to be out of here someday. In fact, the Bible says here, let me read it for you so you don't think I'm making this up. I couldn't make this up possibly. Let's see. I'll find it. Just a minute. It's there. Well, it was there before. No, it was, oh, it's on the wrong page. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Sorry. Here it is. Right here. He says, you who have endured patiently, uh, you will be kept from the hour of trial which is the great tribulation. Now, you can be pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. There's no biblical support for a post-tribulation view. The Greek is such that there could be a mid-trib view that would find its root in Scripture understanding that the great tribulation is at the midway point of the seven years and meaning that Christians would go through difficult times even as we are today in the first three and a half years. But when Satan in the great tribulation for the last three and a half years under demonic control puts the mark of the beast on all those who deny Jesus Christ. And with fury, the wrath of God begins to be poured out upon all those. And the Bible says it's from those who live on the earth. And it says it's the whole world. So we know it isn't just Israel, or we know it isn't just Philadelphia, it's the whole world and those who live on the earth and all of the inhabitants thereof. The tribulation period, the great tribulation, literally hell on earth, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist assumes demonic strength, famines, Disasters, epidemics, cancers, murders, all kinds of things are accelerated. Crime unlimited. The Great Tribulation is so fierce that nobody can properly describe it. And it says in Revelation that the people, when the Great Tribulation hits this world, and the inhabitants that are still here, they will cry for the rocks and the mountains to come and kill them and hide them from the fury of the one who is coming against them. You believe in the tribulation? It's, gonna, it's a fact whether you believe in it or not. And it is taught consistently. Now, I'm, I'm a pre-trib guy. I... I I don't want to go through any part of it. If I have to go through the first part, I guess we could do that because he would take care of us. But yet it says here, I'll keep you from. And the Greek words there are ekterio. And it means, I, I won't let you go through it. I'll keep you from it. I'll take you out of it. That's better than hanging around. For those that think they are, they're hoping that God will keep them in it. But I'm not going to be part of that group. I'm taking the first train. I really am. I, I'm gone. I'm gone. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. How long? How long? Till we shout the glad song. Christ returneth. Hallelujah. Christ returneth. 
Amen. He's coming again, friend. He's coming again. And I believe he's going to keep us from it. Ex terio, not in it with his care. Tribulation period. What is going to happen to us? And I found this part of the study very interesting. The rapture will occur before the great tribulation. The literal catching away of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want to give you a biblical comparative to rapture. Because I've never been raptured, I don't know what it's like. So I found three places here in the Bible. There may be more, but I found three. I'm going to talk about two, I'm going to read two, and I'm going to just mention the other one. The first one is in the book of Acts, chapter 8. And you will recognize that by the Ethiopian eunuch, who was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. And he was riding along in his carriage, and he opened the scroll of Isaiah, and it talked about 53 and 6, that he was coming, and he was going to die. And he was puzzled by this. All of a sudden, somebody appeared on the scene. And in this portion of God's word, I want you to see that something happened here that he was, he was understanding what the word harpazo really means. Philip was the man's name. And God said to him, you, you go to that road in the desert because there's somebody there that needs me. So he went. There were no camel taxis. I guess he walked. So he started out, and on his way, he met that Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, how can I understand? He was led like a, sleep, a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer was silent, so he did not open his mouth in humiliation, deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? I don't understand that. Philip, can you give me some understanding? And so Philip opened the scriptures to him and he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. And they came to some water. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, well, why, what hinders me? I can be baptized. So he's baptized. Big day in his life. Saved, baptized in water in the very, very same day. Now I want you to see what happens. Now watch this. And this is in verse 39. I believe I best my glasses are going to help you in that. I believe it's for that. When they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the Ethiopian eunuch did not see him again. He vanished. He just vanished. He was there. I was not there. Where'd he go? Well, the Holy Spirit harpazzled him. Probably a better theological way of pronouncing what happened and what is meant by that word harpazo in Scripture. But something happened there. The Spirit of God took him from here to there, and no time at all. He was here, there. He was, he looked around. He said, well, God did me a great favor today. Brought this man into my life. Jesus Christ is now my Lord, and I'm baptized. And, and he too 
some historians say, went back to Ethiopia, began to spread the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Probably started with the queen that he served so very, very faithfully. Suddenly took him away. He was Harpazo. Here, there, bang. That's it. Very quickly, huh? Paul's vision in 2 Corinthians 12 and 4. Paul, and I think he's referring to himself here, and out of humility he said, I, I know a man. And this man was so full of all kinds of things that he one day, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't really know, but suddenly he was caught up. Now that's the same word, harpazo again. He was caught up to paradise. He was caught up to the third heaven. And he heard inexpressible things that's not lawful for a man to tell anybody. What happened to him? He, he got harpazo. Doesn't hurt. Nice landing. <laughs> Gentle. But, but, but the speed in between. Talk about breaking the sound barrier. I really don't know how that works. But I'm glad some have tried it out. Because they didn't get up there and fall back down to earth again. So when I think of the rapture, I know that it can work. And I know we're not going to be caught away and then he's going to drop us off. Say, I can only take you this far. You're on your own now. That's right. Absolutely. You're on your own right now. Harpazo. And the final one I want to read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. According I'm reading starting at 15. According to the Lord's own word, we who are still alive and are left till the coming of the Lord. Now there's going to be a group of Christians that are living when he comes back. I really, I, that, that's why I'm hanging around at 84 because I want to be in that group. I just don't want to die. Why waste time dying, getting buried? Waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, the beautiful thing about this is that when he said those that are alive and are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And it is understood that they've fallen asleep in Christ. Uh, the reason that... Uh, they come first and then we catch up with them as they've got six feet farther to travel. <laughs> but it takes only a moment when Harpazo is, is the issue. He's right there. He's right there. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God. Not the trump but the trumpet. <laughs> he might claim that too. He's claimed everything else. That's not a political speech. But the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ rising first, and after we who are still alive and are left will be caught up harpazoed with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. That's why I said I wanted to get to the 
to the heart of this message. And I know some might say, well, why would he want to hurry to tribulation? Well, because we're not going to be here uh, primarily. And uh, not being an escapist, just wanting to be with him as we are right now. We walk with him, we talk with him, and we are with him. And there's no time passing at all in this at all. We're just right into the very presence. So I know that the mechanics work. I don't know how it works, but it's all in the spirit. Okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Oh, that sounds like too much work. I'll just go with the harp thing. <laughs> I mean, I, how far would I go like this? I can't even get off the ground here. I'm not heavy. Rapture. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, okay, tribulation's coming, the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, that's the part you really have to worry about. Grit your teeth and hold on. Buckle up. No, it never says that at all. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. Thank God. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the tribulation. I'm looking for Jesus. And Jesus is coming, and he's coming again. Thank you, Lord. With all of my heart, I say that. Now, it says in verse 11 that he's coming soon. Now, he can come at any time. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. He could come 10 years from now. But the word soon here doesn't address that. The word soon is quickly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In a flash, bat your eye, twinkle it, let it go. That's how quick this is going to happen. He said, I'm coming in a moment that is so quick that if you're not ready, it's too late to get ready. You've got to be ready today, friends. You've got to know him as your Lord and your Savior today. So we thank God that it is so in our lives Happy will we be every day. It's going to be just that fast. That's what it says in Scripture. It's going to be fast. Let me read from 1 Corinthians because I, I just love this part of God's Word. I love all of it, of course. But uh, listen, I tell you a truth. Verse 51 through verse 50. Well, you could go right down to the end of the chapter. We won't. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep. We'll not all die. Some of us are going to be alive when he comes. But we will all be changed in a flash. Wow. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last, oh, here's that word again, trumpet. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting or your victory? And oh, death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, he gives us the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ because he took the sting of death for us. He took the stinger out of death. It, that, that death cannot hurt you anymore. Cannot cut you off. The stinger has been removed. He has died for us. He has taken our penalty, taken our punishment. He's taken our sin all upon himself. Closing thoughts. Pastor Pete mentioned in one of his uh, series that you have a crown that just fits, and that's true. 
But let me just share that in this passage here, it says that you could forfeit your crown. Like Jacob forfeited the birthright. He just got careless. So it, it behooves us to walk so that crown that has been referred to will not only fit properly, but will be there so we can put it at his feet. He's the one who bore the crown of thorns. He will now have all of our crowns at his feet someday. Verse 12, it says that we are to be like a pillar. Uh, the um, connection here is that we know the church is compared to the temple of God and we're all pillars. Not pillows. Pillars. We're to give strength and support. It was an old Byzantine church in that area. And the pillar still remains to this day. And there's one that's hidden under a tree. And it may be the different one that's from the Byzantine temple. It may be the one that speaks about us. Our lives are hidden away in Christ. Pillars. Not pillows. Three things he writes on us. The name of God. Speaks of ownership. He's going to write the city of God on us. It speaks of citizenship rights. What's important as a citizen of any country is to have a passport and to have a visa so you can move freely from country to country after they double-check you and pat you down or put you through the machines. And thank God they do all of that for security purposes. But the visa or the passport that the Christian has will, will allow us to do... Now, hold your seat, but we're going to be able to travel into outer space without a spaceship. That'll be neat. That'll be real neat. Look around, friends. Look around. You got a passport for the kingdom of God? Got a visa? I'm not from the immigration department, by the way, so please rest easy. I share with you with all of my heart that the messianic age is about to come in. And in that day, we're going to have unlimited access to the whole universe. We can go between the new heaven and the new earth, because this old earth isn't going to be destroyed uh, like an apple. The outside is going to be taken away, peeled off, but the core is going to be refitted, and there's going to be a new earth, and there's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new Jerusalem, and we can go wherever we want just by thinking it. You know, I think I'll go to New Jerusalem this afternoon. Bang. I better not say it too loud in case it happens. And then that would give you a fright for sure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Then he's going to write his new name. And where is the name of Jesus written? It's not a visible tattoo like the mark of the beast. It's stamped on our hearts. Right on there. I had one when I came. See, it's nice and white today, Jane. Had a little problem this week. But today it's fine. But we're, you know, it, it, this is interesting that we live in the very part of California where for millions of dollars you can go into outer space. They're building these craft and they're testing them out. I'm not going to pay millions of dollars. I'm going for nothing. And I can go as many times as I want. I can go three times if I want. I just think it and I'm there. Thank God, thank God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
when the Spirit spoke to the church in the middle centuries, it sparked the Reformation. When the Spirit of God speaks to a church, it can spark a spiritual revolution in you and in this church. Small but significant because of the quality of the members and the pillars that stand in the stamp of God on our heart. When I first uh, started preaching in a little town where nobody came to church, our church, we didn't have a church for about a year, but I prepared all the messages. Probably weren't very good, never preached one. But I would always go and hope that somebody would come. Finally, somebody did come. And that was the beginning of a spark that was sown. But it's embarrassing to speak to one person. How do you take the offering? <laughs> you don't have an usher. So you take the plate down and you put it in front of him. And I did that to the man. His name was Joe Moon. A typical name for a guy like that. And he turned around and looked out the window. So I, I thought, I guess he doesn't want to give. So I, I just, uh, I was so glad to have him there. It didn't really matter. It didn't really matter. And then before I got back to the platform to give the closing prayer, he walked out. When the congregation finally started to grow, there was a man there who was deaf. And he thought I was making fun of him because I was preaching out of this book and I was talking about he that hath an ear to hear. Let him hear. He says, you know I can't hear. Why are you saying that? You're offending me. And I said, no, sir, I, I'm, I'm not offending you. He said, yes, you are. You're making fun that I can't hear without a hearing aid because I don't have an ear to hear. But he kept coming anyway, even though he felt I was, you know, I had no business preaching the book of Revelation out of Bible school. What did I know? What do I know today? I know that he's coming soon. What does the dead church say to us? He's coming soon. He's coming soon. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.